I invite you to stand for the reading of the word today. The scripture text this morning is from the 54th chapter of the book of Isaiah, verses 1 through 8. Sing, O barren woman who did not bear. Burst into song and shout, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate woman will be more than the children of her that is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the size of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess the nations and will settle the desolate towns. Do not fear. For you will not be ashamed. Do not be discouraged, for you will not suffer disgrace. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the disgrace of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, like the wife of a man's youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandoned you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing wrath for a moment, I hid my face from you. But. With everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can go ahead and be seated. Good morning. I am Pastor Joy, and I know most of you, but I'm introducing myself in case there's people joining us online who I haven't met yet. Good morning. I'm Pastor Joy. Welcome. Welcome to the third Sunday of the season of Advent. Now, this is the Christian season, distinctly Christian, in which we focus on waiting for Jesus. And as we wait, we worship and we pray and we listen to God through prayer and through scripture. And this week is the third week of Advent, the week of hope. And I have been thinking a lot about hope this week. And I I thought about how I've kind of developed a habit, a new habit these past nine months. And it is a search for the positivity rate for DuPage County. Any of you have a habit like that? Um, And it's kind of weird because usually positivity is good, right? But in this context, it's bad. And so you, you look and see if the positivity rate has gone up or has gone down, and maybe it affects your outlook. Maybe you've stopped looking at it every day. I have a little bit, but, but we look at these things, and they do affect us. They might affect the choices you make if you go out or you stay in. It might affect how you pray. It may, maybe it affects your sort of overall general mood or well-being. Maybe we could say it affects our hope. And so this, this text I just read from the writings of Isaiah is a text of hope. It's written to the Jewish exiles living in Babylon in the 6th century BC. 
And, and these people had been forcibly moved from Jerusalem to Babylon. They'd walked in chains, many of them. And they're living in a foreign land, a foreign culture, and they're full of grief. They're grieving the loss of their homeland, of their culture, of their religious identity, and especially, especially the nearness that they had sensed to God as God's temple was in Jerusalem and the Babylonians had destroyed it. And so this portion of Isaiah's poetry is written in a time of hopelessness. No home, no identity, no presence of God. We could say low positivity, but in a bad way. But in the midst of this low positivity, God speaks to the exiles and offers them a new vision, which we've been looking at these past few weeks. He offers them comfort, as we heard the first week of Advent. Last week, we talked about how God reminds them of the ridiculousness of worshiping false gods rather than the God who created everything. And then here in this passage, we see a picture of God's love, which provides hope and direction of what to do next. And and as we listen, we recognize that we too are in a sort of exile And it's not unique to 2020. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we do live as exiles in the kingdom of this world because our true citizenship is not in any nation or country. It's in the kingdom of God. And you might notice that the sanctuary is decorated a little bit differently. For those of you who are joining us online, it might be hard to tell, but we have decorations made from rags and tin cans and newspaper and uh, a, a tree that would never make it on the cover of a magazine and sticks. Um, and, and it's sort of the idea that if you're sent away from your home and you still want to observe your, your festivals of faith, you just make do with what you have. And that's a picture of life in exile. So in this identity as exiles, let's hear the first part of this poetry together again. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Burst into song and shout, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate woman will be more than the children of her that is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the site of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess the nations and will settle the desolate towns. Maybe as you hear this, you think it sounds really like this is written to a barren woman who's all alone somewhere in the wilderness where you live in a tent, right? That's what it sounds like. And, and it also seems like the speaker really is, is emphasizing the barren bit, kind of rubbing it in, in a way that's a bit distasteful. I mean, it's alluded to three times right off the bat. Oh, barren one who did not bear, she, just in case you missed it, who has not been in labor. And, and then the speaker says something that you should probably never, ever say to a barren woman, so take this as wisdom. He says, go... Enlarge the side of your tent. Decorate the nursery, basically. Get a crib. No, no, don't just get one crib. Get 20 cribs and a ton of high chairs, and you better take out stock in pampers because, lady, you are going to get busy. That's kind of basically what's happening here. 
what not to say to the barren one who did not bear, right? Stock up on onesies, enlarge the nursery. It's first on the what not to say list. And I just do want to note that we don't really use the word barren anymore to refer to women or couples who can't have kids, right? Because this language presumes the ancient perspective that the the man has the seed and the woman has the field. And if the seed don't grow, the problem is the field. There's kind of a certain identity of worthlessness that accompanies a barren woman in ancient times because a woman's primary contribution to society was her ability to get pregnant and have babies. That was their worth. And I do not want to estimate the challenges for women and couples who are experiencing infertility now, because it is a tough road, and I know because I have been on it. About uh, 12 years ago, I almost died because of an ectopic pregnancy that ruptured. So it's a road that I'm familiar with, and uh, feel free to reach out to me if that's something that you're going through. But it is today far less stigmatized than it was in the ancient Near East. At one point, I thought, well, I guess I'll just go get my PhD. That wasn't really an option for this woman. So listen to this text through the ears of people with this perspective. Barren woman, you're going to have more babies than the married lady. So make your tent bigger. Move out those tent pegs. Your descendants are going to be so many, they're going to overflow the tent. They're going to move down the streets. They're going to move into these boarded-up towns. Go ahead, fix up Main Street. Get ready. It's going to happen. You are not worthless. I, I mean, this is either the most ridiculous lie or the most hopeful message this woman has ever heard. This is crazy. Now, it's important when we read this passage to understand that frequently God's people are referred to as a woman, a wife, and that's exactly what's happening here. This is not a prophecy that someday some specific real-life barren woman in the wilderness is going to have a tent load of babies. It's saying that God's people, Israel, though they are currently experiencing spiritual barrenness and shame, will not be in that state forever. And so this is a big, crazy picture of hope, not just for one woman, but for a whole society of people whose cultural and spiritual lives are barren. But this, this desolate woman being promised children is not a new theme in scripture. We see it in the story of Abraham and Sarah. We see it at the beginning of 1 Samuel with Hannah, because this is what God does. Psalm 113 says, he gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. So God isn't addressing a solitary woman out in the wilderness. This solitary woman is representative of God's people, the Israelites, and God says not to be afraid, not to be discouraged, that things will be so much better. She's going to forget. She's just going to forget she was shamed. She'll forget how she was widowed because something wonderful is on the horizon. And then God starts to talk about himself. And God reminds Israel who he is in order to remind them of their foundation of hope. Because, and this is the most important thing I want you to remember from this message today, hope is not a positive view of the future. 
Our hope as believers in Christ is in the character of God. This is key for the Christian life. There's a a huge difference between positive psychology and Christianity because our hope is in who God is, not our current or even future circumstances in this life. Here's what God says about himself. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. So let's look at this together. Here's how God describes himself. First, your maker, the one who created you, he's your husband. God is both the creator, but he also has an intimate involvement with us, your husband. We can see this applied in the New Testament and the metaphor of Christ in the church, in which Jesus is the husband and the church is the bride. I sometimes tell kids that God loves us so much he wants to marry us, and then they laugh, but that's true, right? This is not a relationship of pity. God does not just feel sorry for us. This is a marriage, a relationship of deep dignity and worth. We, the church, God's people, are deeply, deeply valued by God, just like a wife is to a husband. Your maker is your husband. Next, he, when it says Lord, it's the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the the holy name of God. He is Yahweh of the angel armies. When it says hosts, think angel armies, right? Yahweh of the angel armies, God is powerful. He is the commander-in-chief over the angel armies. He is all-powerful, right? Lord of hosts. Next, he is your redeemer. Remember from last week that this means that God protects in order to keep the integrity of the social structure. Redeemer is a relationship word, not an economic word, right? It's, it's, God is the redeemer. A great story in scripture of, of what a redeemer looks like is from the book of Ruth, which is just four chapters. Boaz is the redeemer of Ruth, redeeming her to bring her into community, and that's what God does for us. God is our redeemer. And then next, he is the the holy one of Israel. I guess I did this backwards, but holy one of Israel. And holy holiness has to do with being set apart. God is set apart. He is completely different and other than we are. Completely good. Completely powerful. This is God's holiness, his uniqueness. And then finally, the God of the whole earth, including exiles, including Babylon, all places. The earth is the Lord's. And although God's people still thought of God as their God, which was true, God is expanding this saying, I'm not just God over you all. I am God over it all, not just you. I am God over the whole earth, including Babylon. That is who God is. That is where our hope lies, my friends. And then God tells us what God has done. For the Lord has called you like a wife, forsaken and grieved in spirit, like the wife of a man's youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing wrath for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. 
This is what God has done. God has called us back. He has called us back when we're a depressed wife, far from God. God has called us back. And next, God does say that he turned away in a brief moment in anger. This is true. This is the exile. Remember that the exile is a consequence for Israel's sin of worshiping other gods. So God did not reject Israel first. Israel rejected God first. Israel turned away. This is like a picture of divorce or separation, but God is not going to let this continue. God looks out at Israel in the wilderness and has compassion and love. And he'll have compassion on Israel with an everlasting love. We see this amazing contrast, right? Brief moment of anger, everlasting love. And this love is not going to depart. And this promise of peace will not be removed. Why? Go back to the character of God. God is the Redeemer. And this is why the barren woman the one who did not bear, the one who did not cry out in labor, should cry out and burst into song and shout. This is why she's told to move the tent peg, to invest in pampers, to buy 30 high chairs, because of who God is and what God is going to do. And this is our picture of hope. Not that things are going to get better because circumstances change, but because we know the character of God. And so the hope that God promised, then it's continuing now, here, even with us. We can loop back and find our place with that woman in our own times of desolation and then look to Jesus, the character of God incarnate in flesh, for a renewal of hope. And again, this isn't based on an optimistic vision, but based on who God is, his love, his compassion, his power. Because this is what God promised Abraham long before the exile. Abraham, if you're not familiar, he was a real old guy that God wanted to be friends with. And God made a promise to him. He said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. If you know the story, Abraham's wife, Sarah, she was real old. She was barren. But... She gave birth to Isaac. And then there's another story. Thousands of years later, Zachariah's wife, Elizabeth. This is an Advent story in Luke's gospel. Also barren. She gets pregnant. And and she's experiencing shame in her community, even though she's a wonderful, upstanding citizen. But she and her husband, Zachariah, conceive and have a son. And when her son is born, Elizabeth says, This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. This this disgrace word is the same as what we hear in the text today. Elizabeth is a little tiny microcosm of Israel here. But you want to see what God can really do? You want to see how much Israel's maker can be her husband? Mary, the Virgin Mary, is God's piece de resistance. She's not a married woman. She's a virgin. Mary, you want to see how large God can make your tent? God's asking her, look what I can do, Mary. 
Look at the way out of exile I'm bringing forth, and it starts here with you. Your maker will be your husband, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. You think things are impossible for me, God says. Nothing is impossible for God. And God comes to be with us, this time through a woman who hasn't even had time to be barren. With Mary, God skips that part and gets straight to the point. The way out of our sin exile is himself, and it is Jesus. And it's through Jesus that we, us, here today, are the reason that poor lady in the wilderness was told to stock up on pampers. We are the children of that barren lady. Because we, too, are the children of God, adopted through the work of Christ. We're the offspring inhabiting those desolate towns. We're the offspring through whom the promises of God are still coming true. This is our spiritual history, a story of who God is and what God has done, a story of hope. Through you, all nations will be blessed, God promised Abraham. And now, today... The Christian faith is a global phenomenon. Missionary work, globalization, and high migration rates have pushed the Christian church into every corner of the world. Christianity, it's not a white man's religion. The majority world has far more Christians now than the secular West and is sending missionaries throughout the world. So don't be surprised one day when you meet a missionary from South Korea or Nigeria sent to the United States to bring us the gospel. This is God gathering his people together, people from all over the world, going all over the world, all nations, all languages. And we hear again in this text God's invitation to participate with him in what he's doing. God doesn't just say to the barren lady, now, sit tight while I act. He doesn't say that. He invites her to participate. Move the tent pegs. Stretch out the curtains. You get ready now. Are you ready? Get ready because I'm going to act and I want you to be ready. And so we can hear this promise here to us today, wherever we are, wherever we live, whatever kind of exile we feel that we're in. God is inviting us to get ready. And you know the metaphor stock up in Pampers is just a metaphor, right? But what does that look like for us today? What is the invitation God has for us? So first, my friends, think about and consider deeply who or what you hope in. Do you hope in circumstances? Or do you hope in the character of God? One way to think about this is if you find yourself thinking more about politics or checking the positivity rate as an obsessive daily liturgy, you might not be hoping in the character of God enough. Because your practices, how you spend time, how you think, your media habits are going to inform your practice of hope. So in response to this, what does it look like for us to pray toward hope? I know some people feel hopeless right now. I know. And so if you feel hopeless, pray toward hope. Say, God, I want to hope in you. I want to hope in your character. Guide my hope toward you. That's a legitimate prayer. It's a good prayer, my friends. And and we have to remember that this hope is not just for heaven. 
This is not just for our future. This is hope for what God is going to do now here on earth. And we pray this each Sunday when we say the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because God wants to work through us now and today. So pray toward hope. Secondly, read toward hope. God is the main character of the Bible. As you engage in scripture, look at how God is described. Look at God's character as it's described in the Old Testament, as it's revealed in Christ in the Gospels, as it's applied to the early church in the epistles and acts, right? Hope in God, hope in Christ, in the character of our triune God. And finally, and this one's a little bit more nebulous, but participate toward hope. As, as I've been preparing to teach this week, I've, I've been wondering, how is God inviting us, corporately, Hinsdale Covenant Church, to enlarge the t- site of our tent? I, I don't think this has anything to do with our building. But how can this tent of God's presence through the church, through us, filled with the Spirit, get bigger? How can it spread out into our neighborhoods and schools and work and Zoom meetings? How can God's tent be spread out within Hinsdale and Western Springs and Westmont and Downers Grove and LaGrange? And as we look toward the end of the pandemic now, I have this deep hope that that in the character of God, that God will have used this strange, strange time to stir the hearts of people who are longing for purpose and meaning that God will have looked out at people in the wilderness and exile of their lives and have compassion on them and call them, that God will call people, and so that people who are longing to experience the deep love of God, who is our maker, will seek him. And God has put various certain demographics in the western suburbs on my heart, and I would love to hear who or what God has put on your heart at this time. I recognize participate toward hope is rather nebulous. But can this be our posture right now in our prayer, in our scripture reading, in our mission, in hope that God will show us, he will reveal to us the purposes he has for us in this next season, what it means for us to move our tent pegs. So whether the positivity rate goes up or down, we hope it goes down, right? But our hope rate The hope that we have in God because of who God is will go up and up and up and up. That's my hope in God, in God's work in you. And as I've talked about this briefly with Pastor Lars this week, I invited him to lead us in a time of reflection and prayer. For those of us who are joining who might not know, Pastor Lars is our lead pastor and part of his work is, is, is... bringing us together in vision and in mission for what God is doing here in the western suburbs. So let us hear from Lars and then pray together.